0: Welcome to the 7th Report, brought to you by The Brookery. Looking for a satisfying treat that pleases your taste buds? Then look no further, as The Brookery offers seven unique flavors of soft, rich croissants that make other desserts seem incomparable. Place your order at www.tnbrookery.wixsite.com slash site for more information. You can also check out The Brookery on Facebook and Instagram for additional chances to win free croissants. Again, that website is www.tnbrookery.wixsite.com site. Order your pleasant croissants today. Welcome into the program. Your host here, Harrison Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at The 7th Report. I appreciate you guys hanging and listening. Why don't you go check out uh, Alex Philbrick's newest episode. He just put out his fourth episode on the Vendetta Media podcast channel, Fill in the Gap. He goes through the NCAA tournament bracket, each region discussing thoughts and attentions um, and how things might shake out. Plenty of picks and upsets. It's a great listen. Go ahead and give it a chance if you haven't already. I'm excited for this show today. We've got quarterback guru Mark Schofield, insider for Inside the Pylon You can follow him on Twitter, at Mark Schofield. We've had him on before, if you guys remember. Uh, We talked a lot about quarterbacks about this time last season. Mark, how are you this afternoon? How's it going this afternoon, Mark?
1: It's going well, my friend. It's going well, Harrison. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing extremely well. I appreciate you joining me. We've got a packed show uh, just with a ton of stuff coming about with the free agency and the draft.
1: Yeah, we do. And, you know, this is really an interesting time of year because, you know, we won't know until this time next year how it all shakes out. But right now we're getting a really good sense of, you know, where teams view their current rosters, if their views of some of these players, including, you know, draft prospects is in line with what we've been thinking. Mm -hmm. And so it's fascinating to see this also to play out real time.
0: If you don't follow Mark on Twitter, you need to. His gift game is just on fire. How did you get so good at this?
1: It's all self-taught, my friend. It's all (laughs) self-taught. I mean, look, I'm a man. I'm 41 now, to use the Mike Gundy quote. But, you know, you, you learn it sort of on the fly. You see what the kids are doing, and you try to keep up with them.
0: Rank the top five quarterbacks in this draft.
1: That's a fascinating question. And what's interesting about it is... You know, you get a sense of what traits people value mm-hmm. when you hear their own rankings because you can ask five different people, you'll get five different answers. You ask 10, you might get 10 different answers. Right. And part of it is when you're on the outside, you only get some of the information available. And so when I do it, it's all based on film. I can't sit down with a Josh Rosen or a Baker Mayfield and get into their brains a little bit, other mm-hmm. than, you know, bumping into him with the senior bowl and asking some brief questions. I can't, you know, break down tape with Josh Allen and see his thought process. So it's all based on film. But for me, I go Rosen, I go Baker, I go Darnold, I go Jackson, I go Allen. That's how I put them. And that's just me. And part of it is you get a sense of what I value from a trade perspective. And I'm certain that, you know, there are people at inside the pylon that I've talked to and getting ready our draft guide and ranking our quarterbacks. I'm not the only guy watching quarterbacks like last year. Where I wasn't the only guy, now I get a bunch of guys watching them. Yeah. I'm, you know, butting heads with those guys all the time about stacking these guys on our board because some people might have Allen higher, some people might have Darnold hire, And that's part of the process that plays out just for us doing our own little draft guide. So it's playing out in front offices, it's playing mm-hmm. out amongst GMs and owners, it's playing out amongst scouts. You can ask five different guys on the same team if they value the same quarterback the same way. You'll get different answers. So it's a fascinating draft class. That's how I've got these guys. You might have them differently. Listeners might have them differently. And that's quite all right because studying quarterbacks, it's an extremely subjective mm-hmm. study in art and process. And nobody gets it all right. People will get it wrong. I've been awfully raw on quarterbacks before and I will be again and so take it all with a grain of salt and do your own work that's what I always tell people
0: what makes Josh Allen so fascinating you and I both have him as fifth on on my board and, and as well you did too but what makes everyone else fall in love with him it's the arm, Harrison. It, that's the sort of simple question. It's
1: the arm. It's the athletic ability. It's the size. It's the fact that he can do things with a football in terms of throwing it downfield that not too many people can do in this class, if at all. Not too many people can do in the past couple of classes, except for say, you know, Patrick Mahomes last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And people get drawn to that. And, you know, despite my feelings about Josh Allen, people ask me why do you hate him so much? And it's not that I hate him, it's just <laughs> I think what he does has to be given some context and taken with a big grain of salt because sure. when you're down in Mobile, sure, he can throw the ball like nobody else. He can make those splash throws. You see that on tape as well. But his velocity, his upper tier velocity, the fact that he throws the football 70 yards downfield on the fly, that's just such a small percentage of what some NFL offenses do. And people get enamored with the velocity, but I remember last year when the combine velocity numbers came out, Harrison, and, you know, it was Deshaun Watson with 49 miles per hour, and people were wondering, well, he's not, he doesn't have the arm strength to play in the NFL. He can't mm-hmm. run a downfield offense. Well, I did a piece last week over at Inside the Pallon where I looked at ESPN splits, and the ESPN does splits by depth of target. And the per- the quarterback that made the most throws over 21 yards downfield in terms of a percentage of his overall throws It was Deshaun Watson with 17.3%.
0: Remarkable.
1: Next was Ben Roethlisberger, and then after that, Russell Wilson. But most teams attempt throws in that 21-plus and range at about 10% of their offense. You know, Jared Goff, who led the NFL and adjusted at yards per attempt, it was just 9%. Same for Drew Brees, just 9%. Most NFL offenses are run in that 20-and-under range, and some teams that run most of their stuff in that 10-and-under range. Aaron Rodgers attempted 70% of his throws 10 yards or shorter including throws behind the line of scrimmage. Holy crap. And so when you look at velocity, you're really looking at where it matters most in terms of upper end velocities on those throws 20 and over where you, you can see the difference. It's a noticeable noticeable difference between some quarterbacks. Allen's throws will still come in on a line with other guy, other guys. Their throws at that distance start to dip off. But when you're talking about it just being about 10% of an offense, how much value are you really going to place in that? And so while I get that people get enamored with it, Josh Allen, I just try to give it a bit of context and say if you want to draft a guy in the top five based on what he can do for 10% of your offense, I think it's a bit of the wrong approach to take.
0: Yeah, isn't that where teams get in trouble though, right? They, they start stop ignoring film and they start seeing this huge arm and think, oh my gosh, look at this. And that's exactly why teams didn't take Watson. And they weren't high on his board, and all of a sudden someone scoops in, and he was arguably one of the best quarterbacks last season.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, Harrison. And there's this belief because if you get to this point as an NFL head coach, as an NFL offensive coordinator, you have to believe that your system, your talent, your expertise can work on a player. And so you see what Josh Allen can do throwing at the combine. You see, and look, his tape is filled with some really impressive throws. Mm -hmm. You know, I broke down his entire game against Hawaii. There are some throws in there that scared me, believe me. But there are some throws where I was like, okay, that's really impressive. You can't deny what he can do. So NFL coaches will see that on tape. They'll see it at the combine and they'll think, look, I know what I'm doing. I can make that work in the National Football League. And they can look at context. They can look at throws by distance. They can they can know their offense and say, look, I don't care. We're running the West Coast offense where 90% of our throws are shorter than 20 yards. Still, give me that guy because he has so much talent that when the play breaks down, he can do something special. And I can make that work in the NFL. And I think that's what's the play here. People believe in themselves. They believe in themselves as coaches and evaluators. And they think, give me that guy. I'll make him work in the
0: NFL. Last question before we get into the craziness that's been this off season's NFL free agency. If you were the Browns, who do you take at number one and number four, and is it a quarterback that you take first?
1: I first of all, you know, we can split hairs on what quarterback the Browns should draft Mm -hmm. at number one, but I think you have to draft a quarterback at number one because you have the Giants sitting there to maybe they draft a quarterback, maybe they trade with somebody. You have the Colts sitting there. They probably don't draft quarterback, but they probably trade with somebody. You've got the Bills that are moving up now. They're in that area where they could get into the top five now. Obviously, some other teams might do that. The Jets might try to get up. Who knows what the Broncos do? I know we're going to talk about the recent guy that they just signed, but maybe they still want to address quarterbacks for the long term. Mm-hmm. Don't let another team decide who your quarterback is. Take your quarterback at once. Still do that, even though you just got trade it for Tyrod Taylor. Take your guy at one and then see how the board stacks at four. Because if everybody moves up to get a quarterback at two and three, the guy you might've wanted to take at one, the non quarterback will be there at four in some likelihood. So maybe it's a Quentin Nelson and you solidify the interior of the mm-hmm. offensive line. Maybe it's a Saquon Barkley. Maybe it's Landry or Chubb, one of the edge guys, but you'll still get a great player there at four because everybody wants to get up and, Something to consider is you take a quarterback at one. Now everybody else that wants quarterback, there's one more quarterback off their boards. So it gives them a little bit more of an incentive to get up and get their guy too. So I think you take quarterback at one. The one that I take, it would be Josh Rosen. I think he's the most scheme-diverse quarterback. I think he's the cleanest quarterback with respect to on the field, accurate and enough sufficient velocity, if not really good velocity to all levels of the field, really good processor of information. I know some of the, the knocks on him are more off the field, mm-hmm. you know, his attitude and stuff like that. But, you know, there's also a knock, the, the injury history, which I don't know. I can't evaluate that. Teams will have their doctors do that. But if that checks out, People have some concerns about his frame and whether he can hold up to NFL punishment, but I think his his footwork, his background as a tennis player will allow him to move and slide and adjust arm angles and climb the pocket if necessary, similar to a Tom Brady who does that very well, and he'll avoid those big hits. I think you put that together. That's the guy I take at one. I think he's the safest quarterback prospect in this
0: group. Kirk Cousins signed almost a record breaking deal for what's to come in the next free agency. But before we get into it, I kind of want to lay some groundwork because I don't think that people understand contracts and I don't necessarily understand them, but I think that we need to dive into them uh, more realistically, right? So Kirk got a three-year, $86 million fully guaranteed contract, which is the important part in that discussion. But is it any different than a quarterback who signs for six or seven years like a Derek Carr or a Matthew Stafford where they're just getting insane amounts of money and since it's only a three-year deal, if you were to cut Carr after year three, they would still owe him a ton of money in cap, dead cap room, so you might as well keep him. Is that something that kind of gets misconstrued with the media and how we um, talk about contracts?
1: Yeah, it, it, it does and it doesn't. I mean I think the thing that you know we need to sort of remember here is that not all contracts are fully guaranteed. I mean, you know, it this you know, I'm looking at overthecap.com right now, which is a great resource for right. learning and understanding the cap and it doesn't have cousins new deal up here, but it has Garoppolo's and you know Garoppolo is currently, you know, his deal 137 million dollars, average of 27 and a half million a year, but only 48 million of that, almost 49 million of that is guaranteed. Only 35% of his contract is guaranteed. And now Cousins, when he was playing last year under the franchise tag, 100% of his deal was guaranteed. So $23.9 million, almost $24 million guaranteed. And now he's going to a fully guaranteed three-year, $84 million. So he'll be playing for four straight years of it, fully guaranteed. And something to remember about contracts is this, and it doesn't get talked about a ton, but if people are out there following Amy Trask on Twitter, as you should be, former executive with the Raiders under Al Davis you know, the part of contracts that you have to pay in terms of guaranteed money, that has real world implications. You're you're running a business. You know, you've got vendors to pay. You've got workers at the stadium to pay you've got security guys at the stadium to pay and all the other contracts you've got to pay and when you're outlaying 100 of your contract to a quarterback that puts a financial strain on sort of the rest of the organization and on down the line so that's sort of the undercurrent underrated aspect to these fully guaranteed deals mm-hmm. that you have to sort of keep in mind it has real world implications and then when you look at the other quarterbacks in the league you know if he's getting 384 guaranteed so that's you know, what's the actual math on that breakout per year? I'm just doing some rough numbers in my head. And that works out to be. It's got
0: to be somewhere around like 20. Um, yeah, it's 28 million 28, guaranteed. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so you look at that in guaranteed dollars per year. You know, that makes him the highest paid quarterback in terms of the average per year because Garoppolo was there at 27.5. But it's all fully guaranteed. You know, when you look at, you know, with is guaranteed per year, it's under ten million. Derek Carr, eight million guaranteed per year. Mm-hmm. I mean Aaron Rodgers, ten million guaranteed per year, but you're looking at twenty eight million per year guaranteed. That's a very big number. Do I think the Vikings upgraded a quarterback? I do. I think, although Case Keenum had a better year last year, I think if you look at the totality of their careers, I think Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins steps into a better situation than he had in Washington because he'll have two really good receivers in Diggs and Seeland. He'll have a nice tight end who actually stays on the field. That was one of his problems in Washington. You know, Reed couldn't stay on the field. He had Vernon Davis, sure, but Reed couldn't stay healthy. Now he has Kyle Rudolph, who's a, you know, A pretty good tight end, who's a dependable tight end. And now he'll get a defense as well that's a much better defense than he had in Washington. So I think it's a step in the right direction for Cousins. I do think it's a step up for the Minnesota Vikings as well. And what's been interesting, and I know I'm sort of rambling here, Harrison, but, (laughs) you know, with Denver signing Keenum away from Minnesota, I think they upgraded quarterback, too. It's one of those rare situations where both teams made an upgrade at the position because Denver, after paid, man it was kind of lost at that spot. Mm-hmm. The Trevor Simeon you know, attempt, that didn't work out. Paxton Lynch, it seems like that's not going to work out. They ran Osweiler out there a couple times. That's not going to work out. And so I think in Keenum, they get some stability at the quarterback position, at least in the short term, and they can decide if they want to address it, maybe not with the fifth pick, but maybe, you know, later in the draft, mm-hmm. maybe sometime on day two, they decide, we'll draft a Mason Rudolph or somebody like that, that, you know, if we get an injury to Keenum, if Keenum, if Keenum doesn't pan out the way we thought, we've at least got somebody to turn to, in addition to maybe a Paxton Lynch or a Trevor Simeon or even Chad Kelly, who's still on that roster.
0: Right, exactly. And. What I want to know is what does this mean for Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan, guys that are about to get really paid and that have you know been there before and been to Super Bowls and won a Super Bowl for Aaron Rodgers. Like these guys, what does this mean, contract mean for them? Well, I think
1: we're going to start to see more and more guaranteed money. I think that's going to be the wave the contracts are going to head because you know NFL players, their agents, you know they're smart people. They know that the shelf life for a player in the National Football League is short. You know, you've got to maximize your your economic windfall. You know, your economic value while you can. And so, if you get more and more of your contract guaranteed and protect yourself against being cut, being a cap casualty or whatever, you know, that's the trend that you've got to do. I think if you're Aaron Rodgers or his agent today, you're overjoyed. I think if you're Matt Ryan and his agent, you're overjoyed. You probably you know buying an extra boat or a new vacation house because you know that. Your guy's going to get paid. And then you can walk in and say, look, Kirk Cousins went to the playoffs once. I've won a Super Bowl. I've been to a Super Bowl. I've been MVP. Like, you know, I've outdueled Tom Brady in the Super Bowl until the last quarter or so. Get me more than, for Aaron Rodgers right now, it's 49.1 guaranteed. Get me to at least like 75% guaranteed. If it's Matt Ryan or 40% of your contract is guaranteed, get me at least into the 70s, you know? Let's get me paid, you know, on a suitable scale next to what teams are giving Kirk Cousins.
0: I totally agree with you. And as we just spoke, Paul Richardson, wide receiver from Seattle, who's making a lot of changes this offseason, just signed or is expected to sign in Washington five years, $40 million, $20 million guaranteed. So there's a 50% contract. Uh, Speaking of wide receiver Sammy Watkins becomes the third highest paid wide receiver in the entire league behind Antonio Brown and uh, DeAndre Hopkins at $16 million per year, which is very shocking to me. Allen Robinson then signed for third three years, $42 million, which by contrast is 42, $14 million a year. Who would you have signed?
1: You know, th- that's an interesting question. And I, I think – both of these deals make sense because both those teams are going to have second year quarterbacks. The Chiefs are going to have Patrick Mahomes with one start under his belt. You know, the Bears will have Robinson, who's made, you know, going to be teamed up with Mitchell Trubisky, who mm-hmm. started for most of that season. But we're seeing, and it's a fascinating conversation, Harrison, to have after the one we just finished because you're looking at teams now that are going the. Different, using the old sort of right. five year old model of get a cost controlled rookie quarterback, plan on his rookie deal, and use the money you don't have to pay him mm-hmm. to get in other guys. You know, look at what the Rams are doing with all the guys they're at. It. Look at what the Eagles have done, you know, winning a Super Bowl with Carson Wentz. And so I, I think both Watkins and Allen, you know, Allen Robinson are, are fascinating pieces. If it were me, I'd go with with Robinson. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you look at Watkins and he's young, yeah, he's 24, but this is what, you know, his second, third, fourth stop? I mean, he's bounced around a lot. I think, you know, you look at what the Chiefs have on offense— I don't think there's a need as much at the wide receiver spot. You've got Tyreek Hill. Obviously you've got, you know, Travis Kelsey, who's a fantastic wide receiver, you know, one of the best sort of matchup weapons in the game right now. Yeah, they lost Albert Wilson, but you've got, you know, Chris Conley out there. You've got some other guys, some other pieces that you can bring in. And they run a lot of two tight end stuff as well with Demetrius Harris. So, you know, if it were me. Chicago had just a much deeper need of wide receiver, I think. and I think they've got a really good player in Allen Robinson. He's had some injury issues, but I think that's a really nice piece to add. So that's probably the direction I would lead now.
0: I'm with you, Mark. What are your thoughts on Tom versus time? I know it just ended.
1: Yeah, first of all, the the series has been fascinating. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the the episode that just sort of came out where you see sort of the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl and the aftermath there, you know, there's some really interesting moments. We get to see the cut to his hand, which (laughs) if you were expect, if you're a little squeamish, I might want to avert your eyes because it's it's a rough-looking cut. It was
0: way worse than anticipated.
1: Yeah, it was, yeah, you're you're right, Harrison. It was a lot, lot worse than I anticipated. I love the scene of... You know, the car ride after the AFC Championship game where he he and Giselle, you know, they get on the phone with Gronkowski and they're talking to them and Giselle is asking how he's feeling. And (laughs) You get to see some of that. It's it's been a fascinating series. And, you know, to the overall question, Tom versus time, you know, I said this over at Locked On Patriots in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. And, you know, if there was a guy that, isn't going to defeat Father Time, but at least take him the distance like Rocky and Rocky won. It's Tom Brady. You know, that's the guy that I would bet on because. He's been that guy that has been there year in, year out, takes such good care of himself. And like we talked about with Josh Rosen, it's not, you know, the pistachio ice cream or the pliability or any of that stuff that helps Tom Brady, you know, going to bed at 8 p.m. at night or whatever. It's the fact that he can move around in the pocket so well. It's the fact that he can feel that edge pressure, that backside pressure, and avoid it so well with his feet. That's what's allowed him to play at such a high level into his 40s. Is he going to keep playing until he's 45, 50? I doubt it. I've told people this. I'm six months older than Tom Brady. I'm about to head to the gym here when we're done, and I'm going to suffer through just a basic workout because <laughs> I'm old, and my body is breaking down, and I need two shoulder surgeries. What do each need shoulder? Because I've got torn labrums, and I just play D3 ball. And so the fact that Tom Brady is doing it at this high a level, it blows my mind every time I see it happen, every play I see him make, every game I see him win. But I can't imagine. I, I still don't. I'm, I still can't believe how he's doing it at such a high level. Because I wake up in the morning and I don't want to get out of bed. My back hurts so bad. <laughs> but good for Tom, man. He's making us old guys look good. He's making us old guys feel good.
0: Mark, I know you're a Patriots fan and you host the Locked On Patriots, but you just made a Philly reference with Rocky what's come on that that I don't know if that's okay I you know you know here's
1: the thing and you know I've got a lot of guys that I know like Michael Kidd Ben Solak out there who are <laughs> Eagles fans John Barshard over at WIP and what was fascinating about this Super Bowl was, you know, my wife has become sort of a Patriots fan. She's adopted the Pats, like I've adopted her Nebraska Cornhuskers because she grew up in Nebraska. So we've made that little trade off. My parents, obviously born and raised in Boston themselves, and they were over for the Super Bowl like they were over last year for Super Bowl Fifty One. And when that game ended this year, we all kind of looked at ourselves and we were like, you know what? Good for the Eagles. Like it wasn't yeah. really disappointment. It was more like, you know what? That's great for Philly, and they're going to love it, and they're going to have a great parade. And boy, did they have a great parade. And, yeah. and Kelsey's speech might go down as one of the greatest rally victory speeches that I've <laughs> ever, ever – it was just fantastic. And if Kelsey retires and goes on and becomes a congressman or something, people are going to point to that speech as what launched his sort of political career after football. But, you know, good for Philly. It was fantastic to see them win. I've got some Philly guys that I know and love that – you know, I've been on cloud nine since then, and as somebody that loved Carson Wentz, as somebody that – look, we're talking right now, and I have a signed Carson Wentz North Dakota State football card that my wife bought and framed and gave to me as a gift because Wentz <laughs> was one of the guys that I was on early, early, early in the process back when nobody even knew who he was. I was writing about him back in 2014. I loved the kid in college. And, you know, if he was healthy for the Super Bowl, I was telling people that I was gonna need one of those half and half shirts with a half Brady, (laughs) half Wentz jersey to watch the game. Because, you know, you know, Mariota, Wentz and and Watson, those are my three children. Those are my three sons. Mm. You know, those are the guys that I love throughout their draft processes. And so, you know, it was somewhat bittersweet to see the Eagles win without Wentz, but I have no doubt that you know they'll get back to the playoffs and potentially a Super Bowl once once comes back at some point
0: I think it's awesome when a staple team in the NFL wins uh, especially something that's not happened in recent memory so for them to win and it be a staple franchise in the league I think that's always beneficial
1: I I think you're exactly right Harrison and you know that's been a fan base that that has been starved you know that Eagles fan base they've been starved to see a Super Bowl win and you know, obviously they they lose back in the 80s with Jaworski. They have the loss against the, the Patriots back in, I believe, it was Super Bowl 36, 39, 39. Um, you know, with Donovan McNabb and T.O. playing his heart out on basically a broken leg.
0: Unbelievable. So
1: it, it, was just, it was great to see. And, you know, you have to be at some level happy for Eagles fans, unless I guess you're a Giants, Washington, or a Cowboys fan. You're probably not that happy. But I think it was good to see.
0: Last question before we hit into the arguably the best segment of today. What are your thoughts on drafting a running back in the value top 10?
1: So that's a really, really tough question. And we, we've seen this play out over the past two drafts now with Ezekiel Elliott, you know, with Leonard Fournette. And I think, look, you can point to the addition of Ezekiel Elliott and say, look, you you add a player like that, you add a stable presence in the running back spot, somebody I mean, that can be a game-changing type running back, you get your team to the playoffs. You could make the same case for Fordette and the Jaguars. Look, they draft him and suddenly they're in the AFC Championship game, especially when you have a young quarterback. It does help you a bit because you get to take some of the pressure off of them. Now, the issue is one of value. You know, what else can you get at that fourth overall pick? And Mm -hmm. the debate that will rage out on this issue is Jalen Ramsey versus Ezekiel Elliott, because Jalen Ramsey was sitting there on the board for the Cowboys at four and they decided to go with Ezekiel Elliott. But when you look at what a shutdown corner can do for you, how that can change the tenor of your defense and dictate what an offense does schematically, that's pretty valuable to have to an organization as well. So for me, I look at a draft class like this draft class, which I think is very deep at the running back spot. You were going to see yeah. guys drafted on day two, drafted on day three, like some guys like Naeem Hines or even later in the draft. Like, I, you know, I, I talked a brief bit about the inside the pylon draft guide. And there's a guy, Jeff Wilson from North Texas, that the guys running the, watching the running backs and great at the running backs just love. They love the potential that he brings to an NFL offense, partially because of his athleticism and his ability in the pass game you can get a guy on day three that can give a nice boost to your offense at the running back spot. And so when you think about what you might have to give up or go draft and mm-hmm. draft a running back early, and then when you think about the economics of it, the shelf life on yeah. running backs isn't that long as opposed to other positions, I think it's a bit of a risk. I think you'd be better served as a team drafted uh, at a position of need and addressing running back later in the draft, particularly in a draft class like this one. But, you know, that's just me. Jaguars fans can point to an AFC championship run, Cowboys fans can point to another run in the playoffs with a rookie quarterback in Dak Prescott and say, look, you drafted a running back early, that can boost your offense. I get the argument. I would just lean down on the side that you can address other needs there and grab running backs later for better value.
0: I'm exactly with you, Mark. I think you said it far better than I ever could. Three random funny questions. You ready? I love
1: this part, man. I love this part.
0: <laughs> if Hollywood made a movie about you, what actor would play you?
1: You know, it's it's funny if you look at my Twitter account. Oh, here we go. You know, what's funny is when I made a brief, very brief appearance on TV uh, during the Big Ten media days when I got to ask James Franklin a question. And some random on Twitter basically said that I looked like a weird mix of Ben Affleck and Jason Sudeikis. (laughs) So I guess at the outset, you could say maybe one of those guys. My wife, when we met, she thought I looked like and this is probably a little bit before your time, but that show Felicity. Scott Speedman, who was like Felicity's on again, off again love Hmm. interest, she said it kind of looked like him. So I'd probably say, unless you can get like a weird mix of Ben Affleck and Jason Sudakis, maybe a Scott Speedman. That's where I'll go.
0: Man, I I would take Ben Affleck or Jason Sudeikis if someone offered them to me, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the Affleck then is obviously you've got the Boston accent that played there. (laughs) You know, I I could roll with that. And like I said, that random person was not my mom. My mom does tweet (laughs) a lot. She does follow me on Twitter. Same with my dad. But it wasn't one of them, I'll say that. It wasn't a family member.
0: Do you know why manhole covers are round?
1: I think because there's the potential, and this is, As somebody that was a lawyer that worked on cases involving manhole covers, I think the issue is if you get chips dense or cracks to the corner, you might see that manhole cover start to slip a little bit. I think the fact that they're round, you won't get that as much. But that's just, I got to tell you, that's a shoot from the hip, wild, wild
0: guess. That is a far better answer. I'm writing this question down and I'm like, there's no one in this entire world that knows the real answer to this. I have no idea. I'm Googling it right now. What was the last book you read?
1: The last book I read, okay. Uh, the last one I finished was, okay, the last one I finished was a book that I read in college. I'm one of those guys that likes to reread stuff. So, um, All Quiet on the Western Front, it was written by a German soldier in World War I. And it's basically a somewhat fictitious uh, tale of life on the Western Front, life in the trenches during World War One. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. Right now, I'm in the midst of "Tip and the Gipper," written by Chris Matthews, who's on MSNBC, who was Tip O'Neill's sort of right hand man. Um, when Tip O'Neill was Speaker of the House and when Reagan was President. And it's a fascinating story about, like, two very powerful political figures, Tip O'Neill and President Ronald Reagan, and how even though they were on the opposite side of a lot of arguments and debates, they really worked together to get things done, get a tax cut deal done, saving Social Security, Um, working with Mikhail Gorbachev when, you know, there was an overture and obviously Reagan's great speech, you know, Mr. Gorbachev's tear down this wall. And so that's been a fascinating story to read and, you know, Chris Matthews, whatever you want to think about him politically, you know, he's a good storyteller. So it's a really nice, well-crafted book, but you know, I'm somebody that reads a lot of political history, a lot of, you know, world history. Um, so yeah, I've been working through books, you know, that's one of the things I do, you know, when I wind down at night and then particularly more off season when the season is over and you know, you're not working 12, 15, 20 hours a day on football stuff, you know, sit down and read a little bit and you know as somebody with sort of that political slash historical background in college those books are fun I love reading them and my wife just rolls her eyes at me <laughs> because she's like how can you read that that looks so boring but what can I say so yeah those were the that's the last book I read and the one I'm reading now I'd highly recommend both of them
0: well, I appreciate it Mark thanks for all your insight today both historical and football related
1: Harrison, my friend, always a blast coming on with you. I love the three questions at the end. You know, you're, you do such a great job with the show. And you know, anytime you want me to hop on, buddy, happy to come on. Always a blast.
0: Thanks, Mark. He's Mark Schofield from in, an insider from inside the pylon at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter at the Seventh Report. We appreciate you listening. and Hope to check us out again.